You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. All right, what are you at? Where are you at? I'm probably three. You're good. I think you're good. All right, you all ready? No. Oh, <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Behind the Message with Jason and Chris and Jason. We're all here. Um, this is uh, week what two of O Come Emmanuel. For whatever reason, it feels like this is week twenty of <laughs> O Come Emmanuel. Um, but it is uh, December thirteenth and. This past Sunday, uh, if people were there, they saw that we played the video that we've done the past, at least, this might be the second, third time we've done it, I don't remember. Uh, But just kind of recapped pictures from this past year and celebrated some of the ministry wins. So I thought, all right, let's kick things off. What was your favorite ministry moment of 2023? It's coming to an end. Chris. Um, All the baptisms. It was good to see um, all those people accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. Yeah, and I, I did. I get to help baptize one of them. So it's not about me. Oh well, I don't know. You brought it up. <laughs> I said all of them, not the one in particular. Yeah, I once I played that video and I was like, oof! It really did look like I was killing poor Kim. <laughs> when you when you watch it again, I go to dunk her. And I can see her like trying to go in to grab her nose. Like I maybe I didn't warn her enough. Like she looks like the first person I've ever baptized in my life or something. Like we're new at this. And she comes out trying to grab the glass and I was like, Well, that's all right. You got doped. Yeah. But well she gave me a hug afterwards, so at least she wasn't like I don't know, scared or mad. So all right, how about you, Baker? Favorite moment? Um, I think the the worship night where I, I got to watch Karina give her testimony was a good one. And, of course, all the Bibles and bacon and the prayer nights as well. So, And I noticed in that video, if you if you watch the video, I never plan it that like that, but the song mentioned about sharing your story, like as oh, Karina's yeah. picture, sh- like popped up where she's sharing her story um yeah i mean i'm not gonna spend hours trying to get that to line up it just happened to line up so yeah that was good um baptisms probably would have been a good answer thanks chris um i put prayer in the neighborhood that's always my favorite and we should do more of next year so um i've never been a part of prayer in the neighborhood and thought it was a waste of time or didn't like it. Um, so that's probably my favorite thing that we do. One of them. All right. Isaiah 9, 3 through 4 is where we officially kicked off this past Sunday. What does Emmanuel mean? I gave point one. This is point two. Christ brings joy to the world. Um, Chris, According to verse 3 of Isaiah 9, mm-hmm. why is there rejoicing? Let's see what I have here. 
Um, writing in the past tense of future events, Isaiah says that the Lord has multiplied the nation. Uh, this would be an increase of the population. Uh, the Lord will also increase their joy, uh, as well as their joy for abundant harvests and military victories. Um, Isaiah describes the time when the nation will be thriving in safety, security, and plenty. Um, and the source of all this will be the Lord. Yeah. That's good. Baker? Mm-hmm. With that same thought, how does Judges 7 connect with Isaiah 9-4? So Isaiah 9-4 says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. So Judges 7 is the story of Gideon. Um, God whittles his group down to 300 men. They take trumpets and torches, hidden under jars, surround the Midianite camp at night, blow their trumpets and startle the Midianites. And God actually, um, the Lord actually causes the Midianites to slaughter each other. So that's... Verse it's four. It's real, heart, it's real heartwarming. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Not read that. That's a good, good family story. Read it to my children at night. Um, but so, and then the ones that did flee were hunted down, killed. So Isaiah nine four is referring to what happened in Judges seven with the defeat of the Midianites. Hmm. Yeah. Do you think there's any connection? Um, those that come out when the trumpets are blown. I think it's Asher and Naphtali. And Manasseh and then Naphtali is mentioned in Isaiah nine one. I don't I've never done any research on that. I'm I'm assuming there's not a major connection and if there is, I'm like allegorizing everything. But I just yeah. when I was reading that Sunday I was thinking of the connection. So Alright, that's good. That's good. first question for you, Mr. Payne, was Jesus actually baptizing anyone all right john 4 1 through 3 i referenced it sunday but did not read it um so john 4 verse 1 says now when when jesus learned that the pharisees had heard that jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than john so that does seem like this past Sunday, we're like, who brought up this argument to John? It's probably the Pharisees. Uh, verse 2 says, Although Jesus did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again from uh, Galilee. So it appears, it does appear throughout the New Testament, that Jesus never actually baptized anyone, uh, which begs the question, why? Uh, especially given the opportunity to baptize people why is there a distinction in the text that he wasn't and it was just his disciples um my answer is just speculation say that up front and people may not like it um i think first it was so that it was clear that water baptism doesn't save uh if it was salvific which is a little bit bigger word in nature like if it if that was the methodology that saved i'm confident that jesus would be dunking people left and right after all he came to save Mm -hmm. so if that was a part of like how to save someone i 
think he would be doing it. Um, but also, and I, this is probably more to the point, because water baptism points to um, a greater baptism in Christ, being baptized in Christ and Holy Spirit and fire, Romans 6, 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So I know that in our church, and there's plenty in the restoration movement would disagree with me on this one, but being baptized into Christ is what saves, not being baptized under water. Um which I even had someone in our church ask me why we, we have a slide on the screen that gives instructions for communion. And in there it talks about baptized believers. And I think their question was more, well, are you saying you have to be baptized to be saved? And I would say, yes, you have to be baptized into Christ to be saved. Um, so I baptize people because it is commanded and it's a covenant sign of a Christ follower who's died with Christ and raised with Christ so that they may walk in the newness of life, which is why I'm not I'm not rushing my kids into the water. I'm rushing my kids to Christ. Um, that hopefully doesn't downplay any of the significance of baptism. I would say if you're if you're telling me you've been baptized into Christ and you're not willing to get in the water, I am kind of beginning to question if you have actually been baptized into Christ. Um, so I get it. We got plenty of the people in the church that would throw a fit that I believe that. But, you know, they're probably, I mean, let's be real. They're probably not listening to this podcast. <laughs> like, I don't think there's that many followers but um that's okay and we can disagree to disagree on that one that's okay um all right baker yeah maybe i've answered some of this i just thought it was helpful to ask is there a difference in baptisms before and after the death and resurrection of christ which i grew up in church so it, it took a while to realize wait they're baptizing people before jesus has even died why are they doing that? Yeah. So, go ahead. Well, you did steal one of my references, Romans 6, 3 through You're 4. Welcome. But yeah. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, being John the Baptist. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Um, I did look up just kind of the history of, like, Judaism, there is, and there, there was a uh, ritual, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's called mikvah, mm-hmm. and it was a ceremonial immersion into water yeah. uh, for cleansing, so I don't know if that's where it originated, but it, I think what kind of ticked off the religious leaders at that time was, here's John the Baptist in the Jordan yeah. uh, as part of it, um, so I think... The baptism before Christ was more looking forward to Christ's coming and even forward for his redemption, maybe. 
Uh, Matthew 3.11, in that same set of passages, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So um, John's baptism, like I said, I think was to prepare people for the coming of Christ and then the future coming of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, but I, I was always noticed it's always tied, baptism's always tied in with repentance. Yep. And, you know, kind of piggybacking off what you said, um, for us, I believe when we receive the Holy Spirit is actually through the repentance, which is going to occur before baptism. Man, we're, we're making everyone mad. Yeah, well. Because there are people... Um, that believe, I mean, it's literally when you're the Holy Spirit. Yeah, comes upon uh, you. I guess. Yeah, I'm not going to be too specific, but yeah. yeah, there's people that believe. Yeah, you that's receive, when you receive the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit through water baptism. And the, they'll say, I've heard them say that. Like yeah. now, the, with the receiving of the Holy Spirit, and that, that's a big thing. That yeah, I just don't believe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, I I don't either. So but, that's. Um, but, um, so kind of going back, I think it's the same in the fact that it is symbolic, but I don't know, and you may be able to chime in on this, baptism at that time, it, was, it seemed like it was a setting apart tied in with confession, but were they really, at that time, was baptism really the symbolism of the bear, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ because it hadn't occurred yet? No. I would say so it's that more could be a difference. purification oriented, which yeah. you mentioned what a, that word we can't pronounce. Yeah. Um, I've even heard that argument from those that support infant baptism. Mm -hmm. So rather, or they support that against immersion. So they would say, well, what they were actually doing is that they were there was a sprinkling, like the purification of the Old Testament. Yeah. And I would just say, no, there's no thing that hints that they were sprinkling in the in the text, going down to the water. But people make pretty strong arguments that they were. Um, I just think that clear pattern is that it has consistently been immersion, um, which is why, obviously, we do that. And I grew up Baptist, so, I mean... Same here. It is what it is. Well, mikvah was a immersion. Yeah. Well, so, people, I mean, no, people would, would purify themselves before they would go. There, there's actually pictures online you can look with like the holes in the ground they would go yeah. down. Oh, I've seen Chris bringing out his Israel trip. <laughs> Chris showing off over here. All right. <laughs> you got baptized again. I got baptized again in the Jordan. Yeah. To receive oh. the Holy Spirit. <laughs> He's only in the Jordan. Yeah. People, <laughs> isn't it so, Christian circles are so confusing yes. when you're like, well, we're saying you get you receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of of true conversion, faith, confession yeah. of faith. Then you have other people that are saying, well, you receive the Holy Spirit at baptism. And then you have another group that's like, you kind of receive the Holy Spirit, but you get the second anointing of the Holy Spirit with the second baptism. No, I just did a rededication is what I looked at it as. You just wanted pictures of being baptized. Oh, well, I tell you what, there was a guy on that trip that he went a lot. He went to like Israel every year. He got baptized and every, every year? time he went, he would get baptized. Really? 
Because he said, you never know. I'm like, well. You never know. (laughs) The Bible says that you know. So all that to say, I I think (laughs) baptism was viewed differently prior to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And it has a whole new meaning for us um, as believers after the fact. Yeah. So. That's good. All right. Well. Don't come at us. That wasn't the point of the message. Um, I might get some people not wanting me to be an elder now. Yeah, that's true. That might be. Well, no, they'll be fine because I agree with you, so they may not want me to be the pastor either. So uh, letter A, um, a joy in hearing his voice. Chris, why does John, or yeah, why does John compare Jesus to the bridegroom? Uh, let's see. In Jewish tradition, uh, the imagery of a bridegroom is often used to represent the Messiah, or God's presence among His people. Uh, the bridegroom is a figure of celebration, joy, and uh, the fulfillment of a covenant relationship. Uh, the wedding imagery symbolizes the intimate and special relationship between God, or the Messiah, and His people. It's good. That I mean. I just didn't spend a lot of time on that on Sunday, just because we could have we could have spent the yeah. whole message on that. We wanted to zero in on it, but it is an important illustration to understand. Okay, Jason um, Payne, how do we hear the voice of the Lord today? You gotta be real quiet, um, and you gotta go out in nature. Your favorite hike. Listen real close to the wind. No, read your Bible. Um, Read and listen to the word. Read, listen to someone explain the word in a community of the local church. Um, You can read the Bible on your own, and you should, uh, but the local church is the only organization on the planet that's designed for you to learn from God's word with people that you would never interact with if it weren't for the gospel. Um, so it's it's simple. If you want to hear the voice of the Lord, read your Bible. The Word became flesh. That's why He chose. That's the format He chose to communicate to us. Um, so it blows my mind that people who claim Christ would not make that the highest priority. Even the gathering. Of, of the saints like why are you coming to church if you're coming to church to like see a few people I mean that is important connection relationships are important but if you're not coming to church to hear from the Lord like what are you doing um, so there's like there to me just a little rant like there's brothers and sisters in Christ and parts of the world that would risk it all to gather and we struggle to gather because we've had a busy week or we're, we're tired. I think that's pathetic. Like it needs repentance. Um, so that does not mean, um, and we always make that disclaimer, that there's not serious health concerns or mm-hmm. everyone's been sick. So if you got COVID, strep, throwing up, stomach bug, or you have chronic illness or you're homebound. Uh, there's Christians that want to gather and they can't. Like, I'm not talking about them. I met with a, cu- a homebound couple today, and they 
I did not bring it up, but they, when I meet with homebound people in our church, they're always the ones that tell me, I wish we could be there. We want to be there. Um, and they can't, they physically can't like that is a healthy mentality, mm-hmm. but, um, for everyone else, like, I think you just need to repent. Like, do you even want to hear from the voice of the Lord? And do you want to hear the voice of the Lord with people, um, you know, as scripture calls us to, to gather with other brothers and sisters, to hear from the word, to hear it explained. Um, so, I mean, I guess just say what it is. Like, I don't want to hear from the voice of the Lord today. So, all right, I'll leave people alone. That was, that was mean. How does Christ make our joy complete, Baker? Uh, John three twenty nine through 30. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friends of the bridegroom who stand and hear him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy is mine, of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And then Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are ple- pleasures forevermore. So... I think first and foremost, we we need to remain as closely in His presence as we can. Yeah. Um, and I think by doing that, that's where we're going to find our joy over any circumstance in our life. And the longer we stay close to Christ, um, you know, hopefully the the more we're going to become more like Him. And so He increases in our life, and we decrease, and that is what brings about. You know, a joy that's going to last. It's not, like you said, it's not happy. Yeah. You know, it's joy. It's something that is goes beyond that. Yeah. So. That's good. So this isn't a question. I don't know why I put that in the discussion like that. Uh, letter B is a joy in exalting his name. So piggyback off of that, why did John want to decrease? So Christ would increase. Um John recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, uh, the promised one. Uh, John's purpose was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And now that Jesus had arrived, it was time for John to step back. Uh, His mission was not to draw attention to himself, but to point people to the Savior. Um, I think John's statement reflects a profound humility in, in a servant's heart. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll bring it up. You you missed it. Dwayne, Dwayne actually asked a really good question at the elder meeting last night about we were doing that Devo thing, like like a it was December twelfth Advent Day thing we were looking at, and and he had asked like, well, how do you know what a healthy church looks like? Compare like everyone says most churches around here say they're a Bible believing, you know gospel preaching church does that mean they're healthy what does a healthy church look like and i, I think there's many layered answers to that question but you know, a big portion of it that i thought of was like well does our church collectively are we trying to decrease so christ can increase when we start seeing that feeling that saying that as a church i think that's pretty healthy that mean that's a humble church that under truly understands the gospel. It's not about me. It's not about my little ministry. It's not my preference of how I would do something. It's about how can this church, how can I be a part of this church to make much of Christ and me just kind of disappear? 
behind it. Um, so I, I've heard it. I mean, obviously I grew up in church. Uh, I, I remember someone praying a long time ago. It always hit me, and that's pretty cliche, but he had mentioned, like, help me to, like, just hide behind the cross. Um, something like that in his prayer. That always stuck with me. It's like, when I teach, I want, I don't want anyone to see me. I want them to see Jesus. So, um, yeah, I think that starts to begin to see healthy churches. Yeah. All right. Okay, that's good. Um, another question for you, Jason. <laughs> Why is exalting self a miserable way to live your life? All right, let me answer that theologically. Theologically, when we exalt self, uh, we are telling ourselves and everyone else that we worship self. So that, that we are little gods of our own little universe when we only think about self. Uh, and how everything in the day or week is going to impact self. And we all struggle with that. Um, but exalting self, and when we do that, we, we find out quickly that we make really, 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 really terrible gods to worship. Like Because like, we can't always manage our emotions. We can't always manage our actions. And we have no power to change every situation or heart. Since, since we're not omnipresent or omniscient, we make terrible little gods to worship. So when we exalt self, we become self-defeating, miserable, little false gods. And I tell my children this all the time. They probably have to go to counseling for it one day. But um, <laughs> like I tell them so much that they memorize it, which is good. Like when I ask them, like, how do you, like, do you want to be miserable the rest of your life? How, how do you, how are you going to be miserable? I, really, it's Ezra. I talk with Ezra about this a lot. <laughs> and they'll tell me, like, just live for myself, think about myself. And I'm like, yeah, if you want to be miserable every day for the rest of your life, only think about yourself. So when we exalt Christ, we begin to, to properly see everything else around us. Um, we see all the ways that God has blessed us. We see all the ways He pours out His mercy and grace on our life. We see all of, of the hope of eternity in light of maybe some messed up situations. When we exalt Christ, everything else begins to lock into place. Um, so, yeah, quit thinking about yourself. I'm telling myself that. <laughs> so, Baker, mm -hmm. how can we exalt Christ this Christmas? Don't take Christ out of Christmas. Of course not. Um, we proclaim Christ with our actions and our words. Uh, we focus on Him, seek our satisfaction in Him. And once again, going back to what John the Baptist said, we decrease and He increases. Um. You know, it's it's good to tell people, I mean, this time of year, it's a perfect opportunity to speak of his birth and then, you know, lead on into his life, his death, burial, and resurrection, and the why of all of that, but also preach that to ourselves um, in our lives as well. Yeah. So, Can I add, I think, mm -hmm. as you have that opportunity, make the most of it. It's, it's two simple things. 
if you're if someone's like who's gonna bless the meal or they ask you to bless the meal now they're always gonna ask me because it's just my pastoral duties when I'm with family like the preachers here ask ask them to pray for the Christmas whatever um, that's an opportunity you don't want to just preach a 30 minute message in your prayer but make much of Jesus in your prayer in ways other people would just give a superficial God thank you for this food prayer um, and if it's your own family think of a tradition or something you can do to make much of Christ with your your kids something that I've done that's we've done since the kids were little and while they're still little but on Christmas morning um, they don't touch anything they know that they can wake up as early as they want but I need caffeine, Corey needs caffeine, and I read uh, like the Christmas story out of you know the Gospel of Luke before and someone prays before we open presents. It's, I mean, it's not that hard. Like I'm not, I didn't prepare a family Christmas morning devotional and just read it and have someone <laughs> pray. Like, and they're you've got your kids hooked at that point, you know, like hang the presents over their heads. You're like, if you don't shut up and listen to the Christmas story, <laughs> none of you are getting presents. <laughs> so they're going to behave. So just take those opportunities, I guess. I shouldn't say shut up. But. All right. Um, a joy in receiving his testimony, Fortner. How is the Trinity involved in the gospel? All right. Let me unpack the Trinity here. Uh, verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given given him from heaven. Uh, the reference to heaven emphasizes the role of God the Father as the source and giver of all good things. Uh, verse 29 says, uh, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. This is uh, metaphorical language uh, used by John the Baptist to refer to Jesus as the bridegroom indicating a unique and intimate relationship with his followers. Uh, verse 34, for whom God has sent, utters the words of God. This points to Jesus as the one sent by God, speaking God's words and bearing witness to heavenly truths. Um, in verse 34, for he gives the spirit without measure. This suggests that Jesus has been given the Holy Spirit without, without any measure, indicating uh, the presence and the work of the Spirit in Jesus' life and ministry. Um, and then verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Uh, this reflects the unity and love between the Father and the Son, uh, with the Father entrusting all things to the Son. Uh, the passage underscores the distinct roles of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as well as their unified purpose in the plan of salvation. It highlights the divine nature of Jesus uh, his unique relationship with the Father and the role of the Holy Spirit in empowering his ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me piggyback off that as well. I'll quit saying piggyback. Um, but <laughs> John 17, 3 through 4, the prayer between the prayer of Jesus, um, he says, This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I, glor I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. 
And he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Mm. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. I, I only read that because I was going to read that this Sunday, and I'm not. So, um, that's good. That's good, Chris. Um, Jason Payne, why must we believe and obey to receive Christ? Because that's what the Bible says. <laughs> uh, I read this, John three twenty six. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God remains on him. So to truly receive Christ is to believe and obey. And to be clear, that's not works-based salvation. Um, salvation comes through faith in Christ and Christ alone. I will die on that hill. Um, the same way I would, even on baptism, that's a hill I will die on. You are saved by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Now, how are you going to prove that? Obedience. Um, so, uh, you'll, yeah, all right. So, what does it actually look like? How do we know if that faith that we have is genuine? And I'd say, well, do you believe? And are you trying to faithfully obey? Um, it, we all have different understandings of of theology that can coexist in this church and i i've just because people don't agree with me on everything doesn't mean they can't be a part of this church there's good brothers and sisters in christ that might disagree um, and that's okay um but we can't deny that like we're men and women of the reformation whether you identify as reformed or not we're part of the Reformation. Martin Luther was right when he, he wrote this in 1577. Um, but after a man has been justified by faith, then a true living faith worketh by love. Galatians 5, 6. So that thus good works always follow justifying faith and surely found with it, if it be true and living, for it never is alone, but always has with it love and hope. So if you've been justified by faith in Christ, uh, there's there's works with that. Uh, you must believe and obey to receive Christ. Um, all right. Well, hopefully that brought us all back together after uh, Jason Baker's comments on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm joking. Just okay. trying to keep it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How about to you? Why should we want to receive Christ? Romans 3.23, For all I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The end. No. Just Amen. <laughs> um, I actually had John 3, um, what you actually just read. Mm -hmm. the, the Father loves the Son, has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We're condemned. You know, God's wrath was upon us. And, you know, God being a just God, the Son came and paid that price. And also, by paying that price, demonstrated his love for us. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, not only do we have that we're condemned, 
we have a Savior who is God, who is fully man, that loved us enough to come and sacrifice himself for us. Yeah. So, you know, it seems hopeless, but then we have opportunity for the greatest hope there is. Yeah, that's really good. So. Yeah. Do you want to be condemned or do you not? Yeah. Choice is yours. Main point, Christ with us means joy with us. All right. This last question, saying, I know it seems a little wordy, but I do think I've heard this question a lot Have you? over the years. Hmm. Yeah. Um, a struggle that I think people really deal with. So I, maybe I didn't word it super well, but people are dealing with this. So how can we protect our families around unbelieving family members? Or even let's just say they say they're Christians, but they're definitely ain't living it out. How do you protect your family that's trying to as you gather at Christmas? You got anything? I would say one uh, one thing. You have to be honest with your family and let them know that not not everybody believes the same way that you do or, yeah. or even, as you said, practices it the same way that, that you do. That's um, so ed- I guess educate them um, as to how the world is and can be. Yeah. Um, set boundaries. Um, I don't know. I don't know what those would be, but <laughs> well, I mean, they got to be different. Yeah, for, for families. Um, um, like but, I, the first time I ever heard this was a dad that was like, "We don't like going over to their house because they just get drunk for Christmas, and I want my kids just to be around a bunch of drunk people yeah. on Christmas." Um, and I, I guarantee that people are gonna deal with that kind of stuff this year. How about you, Baker? You got anything? Um, I put continual family discipleship, like for your children, knowing they may be around people that are unbelieving, um, well, in the world in general. Um, realizing not all family get-togethers are meant to be a divisive theological debate. What? <laughs> you know, sometimes you just got to be with family and eat good food. You know. What about political? <clears throat> no. Yeah. That's even worse. I'd at least go for a theological yeah. debate over yeah. a political debate. Like, make um, sure to bring up January 6th. But also, you know... Uh, yeah. What's everyone thinking about that? Let's go around the table. <laughs> Approaching family get-togethers prayerfully beforehand. You know, realizing opportunities may rise for, you know, to have that discussion and to share. Um, but yeah, I think a big thing is, you know, Year, like year-long family discipleship. Yeah. Just making yeah. sure your your family unit, your your family, your kids, your wife, your husband, whatever, um, you know, they're in God's Word and they're grounded. Yeah. I, I have a few that weren't mentioned. Um, this, is, this is the more extreme example is one, don't go. You have a right to not go. Um, I mean, you are, um, this is your family, you're called to lead, and if there's unbelieving or family members that are doing a family Christmas gathering, or a holiday gathering, whatever, and you know, like, it's just going to be like a drunken sin fest, or or just not good for your family, you don't have to go. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm sure you'll get a lot of pushback from that, but 
I'd say that is the most extreme example. Don't go, but also go, but don't be afraid to leave. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear that from a lot of people. They're like, well, you know, they're, I'm just trying to honor my father and mother. And we, you know, I'm like, just leave. You don't, you don't have to stay. You're called to your family. Yeah. Um, so if you're there and things are spiraling out of control, get your family and say, we're, hey, don't do it mean. Just like, hey, we're going to have to head mm-hmm. on out. Um, I think you all have mentioned these, like love and serve in all of the ways that Christ would. As Baker mentioned, you don't have to go to family functions and think, I wonder how I can tell them my thoughts, my political thoughts, or I wonder how we can... I know they have some disagreements on, on the Bible in this area. Let's bring that up and see how we can talk through that. Maybe you just get together, be kind to them, love them, serve them, eat a meal together, and go home. Could be a great ministry. Um, and as you all have men- mentioned, prep your family ahead of time with Scripture. And what we often don't do is follow up with them. Follow up with your family afterwards with Scripture. Just say, yeah, that's, that's that's probably the, the big one, too. Even if you forgot to prep on the way home or afterwards, you can be like, hey, remember when your uncle was being weird and he said that about this? And like, this is what, I know you heard that, and but, you know, we don't hold to that. This, that's not what Scripture says. And we're just going to be a family that lives differently and thinks differently. Um, but it's tough. I I do think just try to be loving and serving the best way possible, even with people you don't have to agree. And don't you don't have to take that as an opportunity to like don't use Christmas as an opportunity to confront the sin in your family. I mean, since we're all here, since we're all here, <laughs> you raise your hand if you're struggling. Uh, yeah. All right. I'll pray and then we'll awesome. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for um, just the, the grace to be able to, to teach it, to walk through it. Thank you for uh, just even some of the difficult things that, that we talked about, that we pray that they're not divisive. We don't want that, that we're just trying to be faithful uh, to our convictions and the word. Um, so when we uh, have disagreements, I pray for unity and love where there can be unity and love. And God, we do pray for families that are going to deal with a hundred different variables that that might be uncomfortable or um, or might bring back bad memories with with, uh, Christmas. And I just pray that you would give Christian families wisdom on what to do and what not to do and what to say and what not to say. Help us to love and serve um, everyone, even if we don't always agree with them. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.